and how God last week started this series by allowing me to speak that he had a team of world changers. They were called disciples. But he also chose us. First Peter said that we are a chosen race of people, a royal priesthood, called out to live a holy life, to reflect the glory of God, that we have a testimony to share that says He's called us out of darkness into the marvelous light. We can't wait to share a part of your world-changing story of how God just incredibly selects people to be a part of His team. And we know these guys. Today I get to talk about one guy. His name is Peter. And before I start introducing you to people that Jesus ran with on a in, a in a close relationship, I want to show you, because many of you are new to CityGate, and you hear me say names, but sometimes you don't put a name with a face. I want to show you the people that I run with. These are my team. Pastor Gray and Shelly Foshi. Amen. They have been with me for 16 of the 18 years that we've walked in fellowship together. You guys can go on. And then Courtney and Hunter Brown. Courtney was raised in the church, got, went to Tennessee, got married, got training, went to school, and come home and is now a part of our staff. Dave and Aaliyah. Now, that speaks for itself, you know. And a lot of times, you know, I looked at first service and I saw all the faces like, why didn't Dave sing today? He lost his voice. Um, be praying for him this week. He, he, he feels great. He doesn't have any symptoms, but he's lost his voice. I, you know, I could make a joke right there, but I'm not. Like, <laughs> let's go on. Sam and Lois Lightfoot, if you, amen, if, if you ever want to know what a superhero looks like, Miss Lois is that person. All you have to do is go over in the activity center and all the new changes, all the new paint, that's her. She is Mighty Mouse. Pastor Matt and Monica. I got the privilege of walking through the community yesterday with them, praying and seeing God do incredible things. Carmine and Amy Skirbo. You know, we're going to get blessed this morning as Amy comes and leads us in worship around the altars, but she's responsible for our discipleship and our connect team. Nathan and Lacey Ponder. Nate's over our media. And... Lacey's family lives in Lake Charles, and we were praying for them this week, and uh, they showed us damage from Lake Charles, but their house and their family is doing well, so we were thankful of that. Eric and Michelle Sexton, this is a part of our children's team, you know. JJ and Jackie Teixeira, also a part of our children's team. Mark and Charlotte Santiago. Mark is our bookkeeper, and Charlotte's also a part of our children's team. There she is, Pastor Dawn and Josh Wigington. To me, the, one of the greatest children's pastors in the world, and Josh is one of my elders. And uh, she started the out, kind of started the outreach ministry, and look at what God has done uh, since then. 
And then we've got Pastor Alex and Nicole Reale, our youth pastors. And they, did anybody see on, uh, on Facebook this week, they celebrated 10 years of, of being married. Can we just say happy anniversary to Pastor Alex and them? Let's do it on three. One, two, three. Happy anniversary. And last, but certainly not least, is the lady that has run with me the longest and needs the most prayer, and that's my wife, Michelle. And you say, Pastor, why did you do that? Why not just go into the sermon? It's because it's important to value those that you run with. Those are the people when you call here and your life has been turned upside down, it's that moment where you need to pray. Those are the people that go to the Lord for you. Those are the people that show up at your house. Those are the people that, that help engage in whatever it is that, that God has uh, uh, allowed us to participate in your life. That's the team that I run with every single day. They're world changers. And so are you. Amen. Let's put our hands together one more time. Now, today I get to talk about Jesus' team, the ones he run with. And this guy named Peter, he wasn't named Peter by birth. His name was Simon Barjona, which means Simon, son of John. He was a fisherman from Capernaum. That's in the region of Galilee. He is the oldest of all of the apostles. He's somewhere between 40 and probably 43 years of age when he meets Jesus. Now, in contrast, he's the oldest. John is the youngest. So you've got a guy in his 40s, and John is estimated to be about 16. That's going to come into play later in the sermon because they race each other. The 16-year-old wins. <laughs> By the way, I'm going to go ahead and give it up. He, is, he was impetuous, which means he was prone to sudden rash action or emotion. He was impulsive. He was overeager. He was married. He was the leader of the apostles. Every list in Scripture that describes the list of disciples and apostles, Peter is listed as number one. Not because he is, one of the gospel writers says, first Peter. It wasn't that he was number one in sequence. It meant that he was our team captain. He's our leader. He's the one that we followed when Jesus went back to, to heaven. He's the guy that took responsibility for leading our team. Did you know that his name is mentioned so many times in the gospel, it's only second to Jesus? more than any other apostle. He actually asked more questions. Here's your Bible trivia for the day. He asked more questions than all the other apostles combined. Now, sometimes he asked questions to get answers. Sometimes he asked questions to show off. He struggled because when he was struggling with his flesh, Jesus would call him Simon. When he was wanting to inspire who he could be, he called him Peter. How many of us wrestle with our flesh? Isn't that one of the greatest battles that we have is flesh versus spirit? That we want to do the right thing, but our flesh gets in the way? Anybody conquered their flesh? Say amen. No, you haven't. <laughs> You're doing good, but you ain't conquered it. The only way we can conquer it is through Christ. 
That's the only way to be filled with the Holy Spirit is the only way to conquer our flesh. Look at your neighbor and say, you can't conquer it on your own. No. Our flesh is that ongoing battle. And sometimes we sometimes get prideful, just like Peter. And Peter one day talking about those questions, he's the guy that asked Jesus how many times you should forgive somebody. And you think, oh man, that's nice. And we needed to know that as the body of Christ. He didn't have good motives when he was asking. This was the context of the scripture. He was arguing with his fellow disciples and he was trying to show off. And he, they come to this subject of forgiving and probably one of them said, well, we should forgive people like three times. And they're like, well, that's pretty good because I don't even want to forgive them one time. So if we're three times, we're being like Jesus. And Peter wants to show off and he says, no, it's not three times or four times. I think we should forgive people seven times. And they all are like, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. You are holy. And he goes to Jesus and he's like, hey, Jesus, how about I come up with an idea? Why don't we forgive people seven times if they offend us? And Jesus goes, oh, man, that ain't even a drop in the bucket. It's not seven times. It's 70 times. Oh, wait a minute. So here is this guy that is always, it seems like, wrestling with his flesh. And it gives us a perfect picture to answer one of the hardest questions. Are leaders born or are they created? In Peter's case, both. See, Peter had something on the inside of him from the time he was born. He had innate gifts and talents and leadership abilities and leadership skills, but he never aspired. He never could quite get to the place of leadership. He was a fisherman. But once he met a mentor, a discipler, once he met this Jesus, and how they met was he had heard from his brother Andrew that Jesus was the Messiah and that John the Baptist had declared that he was the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And he was like, we found him, Peter, we found him. And Peter's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You probably did, but what does that mean to me? And so Peter comes in from fishing. And this is the incredible part. There's more times in Scripture where Peter, quote unquote, is a professional fisherman. There's more times in Scripture with him fishing all night and catching nothing than him catching anything. He, so at that rate, he was a broke fisherman. And he had fished all night. He was coming to shore. Jesus was preaching a sermon. A crowd was kind of inching him towards the water. He looks over at Peter and says, Peter, I, I have need of your boat. Can I use your boat? And Peter says, yeah, come on aboard. They push out a little bit from the shore. Jesus finishes preaching, wants to accommodate Peter for the use of his boat and teach him a lesson and tell him, I've called you not to catch fish, but to catch men. And he says, throw your net on the other side. And this is a cool part about Peter. If you really read it closely, he says this in common language. Hey, preacher, stick to the preaching. You're not a fisherman. Wrong time to fish. No fish are going to be this close to shore. And it's daylight if we put our, our nets in the water. If there were any fish here, you know what? They'll see our nets and run away. But because it's you, you just preach this message. I don't want to mess you up in front of the crowd. Hey, boys, throw the net over it. So many fish, they couldn't pull them in. He instantly falls down on his knees and says, I'm a sinful man. You are who Andrew said you are. And he tells Peter, Peter, you're going to be a fisher of men. 
That's how they meet. But along the way, as he leaves everything, he leaves the boat, leaves the fish, leaves the net, and he starts following Jesus as one of his disciples. And from time to time, this flesh thing come up, and it's something that we need to stop for a moment and talk about. One of the greatest moments of vulnerability is the same thing that Peter did, is when we think that we've got our flesh conquered, and we think we've got it under control, it is at that moment we become the most vulnerable to destruction. Because it's a prideful position. I got this. You ever told the Lord, I got this? That's never good. You know, because you don't really want to get this because when it gets bigger than you, you want to say, hey, I'm yours. This is yours. Come help. Amen. So here's this Peter guy. And it's on the last night before Jesus is arrested. It's at the Last Supper. And Jesus wants to reiterate the vulnerability of one's flesh. And he says it twice. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan seeks to sift you as wheat. He wants to crush you. He wants to destroy you. And the vehicle he's going to come through is your flesh because you think you've got it under control. Because you think you're ready, but you're not ready. There's some stuff on the inside of you that won't allow your flesh to see just yet. But I love you anyway. He said, I've prayed for you. And then he calls him Peter. When you're restored, strengthen your brothers. So it's important for us to stop and say that the flesh part of us is the very vulnerable part where the enemy still comes today. And he wants, you can never depend upon your flesh. It'll let you down. The frailty of our humanity will let us down every time. Don't even play with it. Don't even flirt with it. Run from it. You want to be led by the Spirit, but all of us live in it. This is flesh. It's frail. We all fail. What really troubles me sometimes with Christian people is sometimes we believe our own press and think we've got it together and we start telling people we're perfect and then they look at our lives and say, if that's perfect, man. I mean, how many of us have failed this week? Say amen. Amen. I have where you wanted to do one thing better than what you did and you just fell a little bit short. He says, Simon, Simon, your flesh is vulnerable. You think you got it together, but the enemy is trying to crush you and destroy you. But I've prayed for you. He said, he's, he's telling them, there's going to be some that are going to betray me tonight. There's some that are going to deny me tonight. And Peter stands up and says, not me. I'll go with you to prison. I'll even go to you to death. And he looks right at him and says, Peter, before the sun comes up the next morning, you're going to deny that you even know me. How is that even possible? This guy, he's so, he's so courageous. You know, he's the guy that when Jesus comes to the disciples in the middle of a storm, that he, he looks out there and they think it's a ghost and they're all kind of freaking out a little bit going, oh no, it's a ghost out here on the water. And, and they're all afraid and Jesus himself says, don't be afraid. And when he hears his voice, he says, if it's really you, bid me to come. This dude jumps out of a boat and starts walking on water. He is a man full of faith, but at the same time, you put him around a fire. And he's denying he even knows him. Doesn't that sound like me and you sometimes? 
Doesn't that sound like there's moments where your faith is high and you hit a home run and you stood up for Jesus in your walk and then there's other times that sometimes you get afraid? See, sometimes we don't think fear and faith can kind of coincide and live in the same body, but you know what? According to Peter, it can. He hits home runs sometimes, he strikes out sometimes, he speaks before he thinks sometimes, and he's telling Jesus, you've got this one wrong, man. I'm not going to ever fail you in that way. We know the story. Charcoal fire, Jesus is arrested. Things are going chaos. He doesn't know now what in the world's going on. He's following Jesus from a distance. It starts out around this charcoal fire that this girl says, Hey, aren't you one of those guys? He says, No, not me. I don't even know this guy. About a little time later, about an hour, another person says, no, you are a Galilean. You're one of those. I remember seeing you among the crowd. I remember you and him being together. No, man, I don't even know him. Finally, there's a little span of of a little time. And the third person says, no, really, I know for sure you're that guy. In one translation, it says he cusses and says, I've never met the guy. At that moment, The rooster crows, and it says this. Jesus looked right at him, and he goes out and weeps bitterly. See, here's the problem that I have personally. See, I'm a rescuer by nature. I got a Superman tattoo up here on my right shoulder. My wife picked it out because she, for 30-something years, has tried to convince me I am Superman. It's called brainwashing. (laughs) But I take that to heart. And when God called me to shepherd and to pastor a congregation of people, when you call crying, I want to find out whatever it is that has you in that position and I want to eliminate that thing. I want to find it. I want to dig it out. I want to take care of it. I want to stand between you and it. I want to make sure that you don't cry the tears. But you know what? Sometimes that's the very cure for your flesh. See, Peter thought he had it together and because of his flesh, he failed. And Jesus loved him enough to let him cry. See, sometimes it's in those moments where those tears, you know, they filled his eyes, they ran down his cheeks, and this man realized, I was declaring a position of pride that I trusted in my flesh, and my flesh let me down, and now it's probably all over. Those tears revealed pride and those tears broke that prideful man. And in the breaking of that prideful man, it produced a moment that he could be filled with the Holy Spirit and become a humble man. A man of strength. And sometimes I hope that the breaking process in your life wasn't as painful as the breaking process in mine. I remember, we haven't known, I haven't known personally how many people have come to our church till the pandemic. Because we wanted to know who's here, who's not here, how can we reach out if they're still at home. I remember walking in the school. The second Sunday, we were elevation. We had 579. And I thought to myself, we're going to be 1,000 in about three or four weeks. 
And it was that moment where pride had come to the, to the surface. And at that moment, I was exactly like Peter. I'm your guy, God. I'm your guy. I took this big step of faith. I left what I knew, and I'm here. And God said, yeah, but you ain't ready. And you know what it produced? Tears. Man, I was so close to giving up. How could you do this to me, God? I did what you asked me to do, and here we are, because you're not ready. You're depending on your flesh. You thought success was about how many butts you can put in seats, but I count success as what you do in obedience to what I've told you to. And I had to go from a prideful man that could... could I could argue with anybody, man, especially in the ministry. I got the, I got the magazine cover to prove it. I mean, I got to speak in the largest church in the world at the time. You know what? God didn't care. And none of you have ever asked me when you're in the crisis of your life and your tears are flowing in your world and you call and say, hey, I'm in the hospital. Can you come and see me? Now, I can't come and see you right now because they won't let me in. But when you could and I went, nobody ever before I went in said, hold on, I got to check your credentials. Do you, have you ever preached in the largest church in the world? You don't care. You just want somebody that has enough Jesus in them to come and pray with you and, and, and bind their faith with your faith and say, you got Jesus in you. I got Jesus in me. Let's pray. But here's Peter. He's broken. And then he gets some words of encouragement. Now, all of this happens at the night of the Last Supper. Now, Jesus has died. He spent three days in the grave. He's resurrected now. And God, isn't he merciful? He appears to the ladies that have gone to the tomb. And in one of the Gospels, it says this. The angel appears and says, I know whom you seek. He's not here. He's living. He's not dead. This is a place for dead people. He's alive. He's resurrected. Just like he told. And he says, go tell his disciples and Peter. Wow. And the guy that declared three times he didn't know him. The guy that's always wrestling with his flesh and trying to figure out what his flesh, it, it can, can he ever submit? He's been prideful, now he's broken, now he's humble. And he go, the ladies do exactly what the angel says. They go and they run and they find him. And Peter's still kind of hanging out with these guys, trying to figure things out. And he says, the Lord's risen. And he gets so excited again in his flesh. He starts to run with John. John 16. There's two reasons he loses the race. One, John 16. The second is what if you were running? You're excited that you might get another chance. But then you remember the last time he looked at you. Oh, yeah, that's the time that I said to those people I didn't know him. Wouldn't that make you slow down too? And that's what's so encouraging about this message. We've all been Peter. Peter's still confused by the time that they get there. Jesus isn't there. He truly has resurrected. Peter goes back and he goes, guys, I don't know what to do, man. And, you know, I'm glad he mentioned me, but he probably was just going to tell me he loves me enough to let me into heaven. Surely he's changed his mind about me being a fisher of men. So, you know what? I don't know what else to do. I'm going to go back to fishing. Some of them said, we don't know what to do either. He's still a leader. 
We'll go fishing with you. They fish all night, catch nothing. Again, sun's about to come up. It's kind of shadowy, hazy. There's a guy on the beach. Hey, you caught any fish? I told you last week how fishermen talk, right? <laughs> a lot of beep, beep, beep. He probably didn't do any of the beeping then. Ah, we didn't catch anything today. Bad day, bad night. Man, I'm going through a tough time. Yeah. This is probably where he got a little frustrated. The guy on the beach goes, have you tried the other side? Peter probably goes, hey man, check this guy out. Thinks he can fish. No boat, no net. Telling us. Doesn't he think we fought, tried that side, this side, the front, the back? We fished. I told him we fished all night. I want to prove this dude wrong. Throw it over there, Andrew. Bam. Fish. Oh, wait a minute. Doesn't this look like the first time we met? Somebody on that boat goes, it's Jesus. The Bible says he grabbed his coat, jumped in the water. He wasn't waiting on the boat. He didn't care about the fish, and he certainly didn't care about the net. He's swimming to shore as fast as he could get. He gets to the shore. It is Jesus. Guess what? Jesus already has fish. No net, no boat. And he's got a fire. You know what kind of fire? Charcoal fire. It's only two places in Scripture it says that it was a charcoal fire. One was the place where Peter denied that he even knew Christ. And now, now. When he's getting up on the shore, he's wet. He don't know how he's going to be received. You told me that about your resurrection, that you wanted me around. What are you trying to tell me, Lord? He says, come over here close, Pete. And as Peter gets closer to the fire, the same smell of failure permeates the air. It's that charcoal fire again. He's probably going to judge me. Peter, how much do you love me? You start to see that the pride has been replaced with humility. Lord, I used to tell you how much I loved you, and I told you I loved you more than all these other guys. But now, you know. A little while longer. He says, he tells him, feed my lambs. A little while longer. Guys are now on the shore. Fish are on the beach. Boats are around. Nets are around. He looks at him again. Now there's people around. Peter, how much do you love me? Because sometimes you can be humble when you're by yourself. But when you get yourself in a crowd, you've got to compete with everybody else. He wanted to know, has this thing really settled down into the core of who you are? Lord, you know. I'm not comparing myself to John or Andrew or James anymore. I don't even know if I'm really supposed to even be here anymore. He said, feed my lambs. Then the third time. Peter, do you love me? The Bible literally says it grieved him in his heart that he asked him for the third time. But Jesus wasn't satisfied without acknowledging 
the power of transformation from the failure that he failed three times to the success of who he could really be three times. And at the moment, he says, Lord, only you know. He said, feed my sheep, Peter. And that's why I've come to preach this to you and to you out there behind that camera is that most of us have, have had moments in our lives where we have failed miserably in our flesh. We want to do this, but we end up doing this. We end up wanting to do this for God, and we want to live this life of faith, and sometimes we're consumed by the fear, and we end up down here. All of us have fallen prey to that. I wanted you to know that Jesus didn't change his mind about Peter, and he hasn't changed his mind about you. That's a good place to just give God praise. I've got five minutes left to preach. Peter learned submission, restraint, humility, love, compassion, continued in courage. He got filled with the Holy Spirit and was chosen, this failed preacher was chosen to preach the day of Pentecost. He healed the sick, instructed and led the early church. He preached the gospel till the day he dies. You know how he dies? Anybody, a history nut? How's Peter die? He's what? Upside down, crucified, right? Do you know that that's the second part of the story? See, he was so humbled that he didn't even feel worthy to die the way that Jesus died and said, put me upside down. But that's the second part of the story. See, sometimes you think you're bound to that last failure. Oh, the devil's a liar. Historians say he had to watch his wife be crucified first. You know that there's a place in Scripture that says she went on a mission trip with him. Find that this week for your Bible trivia of the week. You want to say something that will affect your flesh? When they're jerking your wife out of the cell? Your flesh says, oh, wait a minute. We can go home tonight. We can go home tonight. All we got to do is recant our faith. That's all we got to do. And that flesh says, maybe God will understand it's your wife, for goodness sakes. Not Peter. Not this time. He looks at her. It's recorded that he says, honey. Remember the Lord. Remember He's worth it. Remember that He's going to be waiting for you after this moment. Remember there's a heaven to gain. Remember He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Remember He's the one that died on a cross for us first. Remember Him. It's literally stated that there were people that were carrying her to her death that heard such a confession of faith that it affected their heart and they later became believers. And then he goes and says, hey, I made him a promise. I messed up the first time, but now I told him I would go to prison and I'd even go unto death and I'm not missing it this time. I have been led by the Holy Spirit to this moment. But when you crucify me, don't crucify me the way of Christ. Turn me upside down because I'm not even worthy to die the way he died. See, some of your worlds have been turned upside down. 
Sometimes it's not your flesh. Sometimes it's just crazy life happens. Somebody dies. Somebody, somebody loses a job. You lose your identity. You lose your stuff. And you think, man, he will never want to lose, use me again. Oh, no, I've come to tell you, if he, can, if he hadn't changed his mind about Peter, he sure hasn't changed his mind about you. But maybe you are one of those people that your flesh has risen up and it's become the vulnerability of your, or your spiritual walk and you've done things you wish you never would have done. And you think, man, I can, I, maybe he'll let me into heaven, but he can never use me again. No, he told Peter around a charcoal fire, I called you to be a fisher of men. I wonder what he's called you to do. That sometimes you measure the frailty of your humanity and your availability to God. But your availability and your calling is never based upon the frailty of your humanity. It's on the power of His sovereignty and His perfection. It's not in how weak you are, it's how strong He is. That He takes weak things like you and like me and reveals the glory of an almighty God. So if you failed, you think too much has happened, Let's worship for a moment, and then we're going to pray. I love you, Lord, for your mercy never fails me. In all my days, I've been held in your hand. From the moment that I wake up Until I lay my head Oh, I will sing Of the goodness of God And all my life you have been faithful And all my life you have been so, so
may be here today and not even know how you even ended up at church. That's such a perfect, appropriate song. It's the goodness of God that is running after you, pursuing you, overtaking you. You don't even deserve it. Your behavior, my behavior, our flesh is just messed up. But His glory, His sovereignty is greater than our failures. He has run you down. He knows you're not perfect and still willing to accept you anyway. Oh, man. Will you bow your heads with me? The gift of salvation is not based upon your works. You can never be good enough to be saved. Romans 10 and 9 says, If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is who He says He is, He's the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah, and that He died on a cross to pay a price you couldn't pay, and then had the authority and the sovereignty to raise and resurrect from the dead. And if you believe that, the Bible says you're saved. It's not just an act of repeating a prayer. It's you having faith to engage and saying, I'm headed in the wrong direction. And the only way that I can be rescued is not by myself, but to have a Savior as I turn towards Him and reject what I used to be and the identity of who I used, what I used to do. And I'm going to start walking towards Him. That is getting saved. Do you know what? When you make that turn, you're not perfect. When you're walking towards Him, you're not perfect. After you find Him and He embraces you, he, you're still not perfect, but He is. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe your world's been turned upside down. Maybe your flesh has gotten in the way all of this time and there's been consequences. There's been painful moments. There's been tears. And you thought God changed his mind about you. He did not. And if you want to turn to him, if you want to believe in your heart, if you want to receive the gift of salvation, repent, turn away, and start heading in a new direction, then I want you to raise your hand so I know who I'm praying with today. I see these hands going up all over. Thank you. Thank you. I see him up in the balcony. Thank you. All right, I want everybody to look at me really, really fast. There's a lot of hands, more than I could count. When you raised your hand, that's an act of faith. You're starting to believe. I can't pray for you, but I'm going to pray with you. We all are. 
And you say, Pastor, I don't even know how to pray. It's at that moment where you just confess, God, I'm in this and I can't get out of it on my own. And I need you, who you are. I need you to rescue me and forgive me of my sins. And I'm going to do my best to turn around. I'm going to start pursuing who you are. And I know I'm not going to be perfect, but you said you loved me anyway. And I'm going to start loving you back. That's the power of salvation. Okay? So can we pray together, Father, right now? I thank you. I thank you for all of the hands that went up. I thank you for the truth of your gospel that it is good news that just like Peter, in the moment of his greatest failure, he was not rejected. You pursued him to a beach. You built the same kind of fire, the environment where he failed, and you loved him, and and you acknowledged that there has been transformation in him that was beyond his own capabilities. Pride had been replaced with humility, compassion, love and now father as these hands went up there that your word declares that their sins are as far as the east is from the west they're not perfect even when they say amen but you are and you are going to seal them right now with the authority of the gospel we're going to allow the bible to be the boundaries of our lives we're going to start pursuing you with all of our heart and our mind and our soul father we know that we might not even make it through the week without our flesh rising to the surface. But you said you were greater than our flesh. So you're going to fill us with the Holy Spirit right now. That will be the rudder of our lives. You're going to allow your word to penetrate the hardness of our heart. And we give you everything that we are right now in Jesus' name. And everybody said, come on, can we put our hands together and give the Lord an ovation of praise?